Hello, my friends. That was the magnificent, the splendacular, the fantastical Carly Ozard singing her version of Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. And today we have an incredible guest for you today. His name is Ed Hooks. He's my mentor and friend. He has been a teacher and a lecturer and a, a writer of books for many years right now. And he has been for, gosh, 20 years or more. The go-to man for teaching animators how to act. More particularly, how to teach animators how to make their little cartoon characters act more people-ish. Don't mind me. I've had a couple of glasses, well, a half a glass of wine, but I'm a lightweight. Because this, this is probably the... Th- Fourth time I've recorded this intro. The first three I accidentally did on my Logitech webcam microphone, and it was sounding so awful, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was because I was recording on the wrong microphone. The joys of podcasting. Yay! So, Ed, uh, Ed is a man of the southern part of the USA. He moved to New York City when when he was a young man to pursue an acting career. He got accepted at the American Academy of Dramatic Art. He then appeared in many, over 30 off-Broadway plays. And uh, after that, he moved to Los Angeles, Hollywood, to pursue his career in television. He was a go-to character actor in many, many uh, sitcoms and dramatic series in the 70s. He acted in over 100 television commercials. He's an author of several books and is the go-to man in the world for teaching acting to animators. And it is my privilege to have him on the show today. He's my friend, my mentor. I've known him for decades. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. He's taught me so much about acting and life in general. And uh, I feel so happy to call him my friend. Anyway, that's, that's enough for now, friends. And uh, I just want to let you know, if you have HBO, watch the show, Station Eleven. It's awesome. And I will be climbing Half Dome on Sunday. Keep me in your prayers and I'll be fine. I'm looking forward to it. I've been training for it. It's going to be fun. I love Yosemite. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Okay. Without any further ado, my friends, Mr. Ed Hooks. I got a skylight here. It makes my hair look like I'm a racer head. You feel that way? Yeah. <laughs> you know how he made that movie, by the way? No. He was a student at AFI. And uh, and back then, the way they did it was uh, the second year students were given thirty thousand dollars to make a a movie, and they would uh, they would go out and borrow a camera and and get and what they call short end the film and everything. So um, he would he did all that, and he had a half hour student film. And uh, he did not tell them that his half-hour student film was a half-hour of a full feature-length movie. He, it was a standalone half-hour. Oh, okay. 
And uh, so he, he made this thing on 35 millimeter. And, uh, and then he went out and used that student film uh, to raise the money to finish his feature. Oh. That, that feature was a racer head. And uh, the uh, American Film Institute changed their whole way of doing business after that because they felt like they'd been used and abused by David Lynch. <laughs> ah. That that wasn't what they intended their training program for. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's how he made his first movie. True. I had no idea. Yeah, I don't even think I've ever seen the movie. Uh, Eraserhead. Yeah, it's actually pretty hard to take. It's yeah. a weird movie with a, with a character, a guy who's got a head like an eraser, and uh, <laughs> you know, and it's it's really a strange movie. He's he's a a strange piece of work anyway. David Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, I mean, I think he's brilliant, but he's a piece of work. Yeah. What are, uh, What are the things that the more popular ma mainstream well he did the uh, blue uh the, the tv it? show no the blue uh that movie uh blue uh velvet velvet yeah yeah and, oh, and yeah. then he did and then he did um, uh the, the one about uh mulholland drive mulholland drive yeah yeah which is another one they you know and he yeah. was uh, um He's had a number of them, but he's a uh, and he and he's a musician. You know, he has a full uh, recording studio in his uh, house, oh, in his basement. And uh, in uh, Mulholland Drive, do you remember that there was a, uh, a a Spanish singer, and she uh, she sang. Uh, uh, the Roy Orbison song in Spanish, uh, Crying. Do you remember this? I didn't see the movie. You didn't see Mulholland Drive? No. Everyone kept telling me it was so depressing. Don't watch it. But I, I should watch it. Well, yeah. I think <laughs> you should. I think you should. Yeah, I need to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's worthwhile, man, uh, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And no. it's a it's a really good uh, Hollywood movie, you know, and it's much more accessible than some of his other ones. I see. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have to check it out. Anyway, I mentioned that one. There's a scene in there where the where the the the, the, the singer goes out on a a stage and really what amounts to a a, a, a burlesque side of town very shady side of town and she's on the stage and she's singing this uh Ori Orbison song in Spanish acapella no uh, no accompaniment and she got that part because she was sent over to David Lynch's house to uh, uh somebody's uh, an agent said that she had a lovely voice he took her into the recording studio and he didn't have any accompaniment or anything and he said sing for me and she just sang a cappella, and she sang that song. Oh. And he said, oh, that's good. And he put that in the movie. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that's the recording in the movie, is the one he did in his uh, uh, basement. The very one. Wow. I love and it. She, just, she did it in one take. I'm going to have to watch this. 
Yeah. I've always meant to, and I just haven't. Did you happen to watch the Tony Awards? Uh, no. no. I, I, we, we, don't, we don't get them live here. Yeah. Um, uh, no. I, I watched the, uh, the, uh, the House Committee thing. Uh, we got that. But I didn't. I didn't watch the Tonys. I read about them. I th- I've seen excerpts. They put excerpts up on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, what did you think? Did you like them? Well, I missed the first hour because I forgot about it. I can't believe it. But uh, yeah, I always, I always enjoy the Tonys. I always enjoy the Tonys. Uh, I, I find that there's. It seems like it's less pretentious than some of the other ones. A lot of these people are newly celeb celebritized yeah. <laughs> and, and they're not as uh, polished you know yeah. i feel like their reactions are 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 more authentic yeah yeah i, I believe that they're yeah. more like a more like a family they're less uh, uh star struck i guess yeah they're not and, as um, they're not as rich they're not as uh, they're not exactly. as famous yeah exactly yeah and the one guy you know the one that played uh does his michael jackson show you know he's awfully talented i've seen they've got clips of him doing uh some of the michael jackson stuff uh on uh, youtube people recorded him from the audience you know on their cell phone they shouldn't Uh, yes on youtube so it's so funny you can't get away from that no matter what, you put up huge signs that says no recording. And uh, I remember one day I had a a, a, um, a presentation in Wales. And uh, I did this thing and they had a big signs that said no recording, no recording. And I did this presentation. It was in an auditorium, a regular theater auditorium. And after I finished the presentation, it wasn't a full class, but it was a a presentation about an hour and uh, I finished and then I went back to the, where was I living in Chicago? I think at the time. And uh, I think it was about three days later, I got an email from somebody in Japan and uh, attached to it was a copy of the thing I did in Wales. (laughs) And they were, the person was so impressed that I had done this and said, I thought you might like to have a copy and uh, I could tell by the angle of the picture that they had been sitting very near the front, right up where I was. And um, there was no jiggle. The sound was pretty good. Uh, it seemed to be well lit. And uh, they just did it on a cell phone sitting there. And I just didn't see the light on the phone. Um, yeah. It's amazing what happens. I know. I a few years ago, I was uh, at a play in San Francisco at SF Playhouse, and someone right in the front row took out their cell phone and tried to like, surreptitiously was video taping, not taping, video recording the play as it was going on. Sure, and you and, know, there's bootleg movies too that are like that. They sit and they go see a movie and and and, and record it from the audience taking a picture of the screen, uh, especially over in China. Yeah. Uh, you, you, a lot of those bootleg movies, if you look at them carefully, you can tell that they were recorded in a cinema somewhere. 
I remember there was a, an episode of Seinfeld when Kramer was doing that as a side job. Oh, really? Yeah. And he had a friend who used to hook him up. You know, they, they made it sound like a drug deal. It was Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, yeah so he was becoming an expert at making bootleg movies. <laughs> it, uh, I have a copy, a bootleg copy on DVD of opening night of Spamalot in, in New York. Of Camelot or Spamalot? No, no, Spamalot. Spamalot. I've never seen that one. It's very funny. Is it a good one? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, I've gotten, uh, because of the work I do with animators, there's been two or three movies that I've seen before they opened. Uh, and, uh, and you can tell that uh, because you can still see the microphone hanging in the top of some of the pictures and all oh. that, uh, that they got it before somebody did post-production, but after the movie was shot and before post-production, somebody in a lab, uh, you know, made a copy. I've had a couple of movies like that. Spider-Man movies, that kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know there's no privacy anymore. This is the problem. Right. No matter what. You know, if you don't if you don't want the world to see it, probably it's a good idea not to do it. So yeah. <laughs> <That's for sure>. <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to work for Sony years ago and he he sold this. It's probably obsolete now. I'm sure they don't use it anymore. But Sony used to make this very expensive piece of equipment that filmmakers would shoot the movie in film, trans mm -hmm. transfer it to video tape, or excuse me, digitize it. Mm -hmm. And that's what this Sony equipment did: is it digitized the film so that they could clean it up, and then it brought it back and put it on film again. Really? Yeah. And that's he worked for Sony and sold that thing for Sony for years. It costs almost a million dollars. I can imagine. Sure, Hollywood would love that. That's a that's a that's a very useful deal. Yeah, I'm sure they don't use anything like that anymore. But you know, this was yeah. I don't know, 30, well, 40 years. Everything digital now. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. 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 But he so, racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles because he lived in the Bay Area. And, and of course, it was always down in L.A. And he had to go down there every week mm -hmm. for many years. So for, for many years, he flew free on American Airlines wherever he wanted to go. He, he and my mother. <laughs> After he, he did that job. Miles, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, okay. I've been reading about. Uh, I've been reading the book uh, that we had alluded to before. The method? Yeah. Yeah. What are you, uh, what are we starting now? Is that well, we've doing? been starting. I guess we started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't know if you wanted to formally start it or how you want. I usually work. don't. I usually just start talking and then. Find some place to cut into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I get I, I, I get also a suggestion of a, of a place to to start. We can start with that book if you'd like. Okay. But I was, um, yeah, as you know, I'm uh, directing a play here, and uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm getting submissions, not a lot of them, but I'm getting submissions now through email. And uh, there's this one actress who's, uh, uh, you know, she keeps sending me stuff, updating her CV, and basically she just wants to get on my good side, basically. And, uh, uh, and so she said in one of her emails to me uh, about uh, she cited a uh, teacher in New York and uh, she said, oh, uh, one day I would really like to study with him. And, uh, and I mentioned, uh, I, I wrote back and I said, well, I said, that's fine. Good. Go ahead and do it. I said, I'm not a, the world's biggest fan of, uh, of Meisner, uh, Meisner technique. No. And um, this guy is a big teacher of Meisner is what he does. And uh, been there for years. He's a respectable guy. But um, it just got me to thinking, all of these techniques, the Meisner technique, Adler, uh, Lee Strasberg's method, uh, Uta Hagen, uh, uh, all of them, there's a, there's a whole shopping list of, um, of these uh, people with their thing. You know what the problem with these things is, is that new people think that they're going to learn how to act when they take these, when they go study with Meisner, they think that, or, or some, or one of the others, they think they, they're start, they, they, they think it's like learning how to repair um, uh, a, a Chevrolet or something is that you don't know how, but you take a Meisner class and now you know how to act. And, and that got me to thinking that uh, none of these people teach you how to act. None of them. They, it's all of them. It's, it's Strasberg's method. It's uh, Meisner's technique. It's uh, Adler's approach or whatever yeah. it is. But each one of them, it's basically their particular personal perspective on an approach to acting, but none of them invented acting, none of them. And, uh, and I think there's a, an information gap because we all, it, it, acting at root is simply not that difficult to understand. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I, some of the best actors I've seen never studied with anybody. No, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Uh, we, we make it into a, a mysterious science here in the United States. Uh, when, I, when I spent time in England going to RADA, they didn't do that at all. And I saw some amazing acting there, even from my classmates in the productions that we did, the two shows. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, Lawrence Olivier is famous for making fun of the method. So, yeah, I'd forgotten that you were at RADA. Yeah, actually, I in general, you know, here's what I tell uh, people. And uh, if I was starting out today looking for acting class, I probably would try to find one more oriented to a British approach uh, than an American approach, because British theater tracks back to Shakespeare. It doesn't track back to Stanislavski. 
And, uh, and in Shakespeare's day, as you know, all those plays were, were done outdoors in the daytime. And uh, the audience was raucous. They talked back to the actors. And actors learned how to deal with the audience, how to deal with them. The, the actors understood that they would not be doing what they're doing if it weren't for the audience. The whole thing with Stanislavski uh, has to do with the truthfulness. And then it got refined even further in the United States by Strasbourg. And today you walk into almost any acting class in the United States and, and the thing looks like psychotherapy. And uh, it's, uh, this is, it really bothers me. At, uh, I, I see actors and they talk about the work. They say it's about the work. Well, all right, it's about the work. But actually acting, uh, number one, the people who are really, really good at it, they don't even think they're working, most of them. Uh, they, 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 matter of fact, they complain that it's, they think it's too much like child's play. They, you know, they often do. And Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. I was thinking the same thing. I remember when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> people got yeah. all over his case for it. Marlon Brando. Yeah. Marlon Brando, he stopped acting way before he died. Even though he was still appearing in stuff, he, he, he phoned it in and, uh, and became a parody of his own self. Um, but he, uh, he didn't think it was an honorable way to be making a living. And that's the same thing Anthony Hopkins says. I've seen other ones say the same thing like that, is that um, they, they feel they get embarrassed. Uh, that they get paid so much money uh, to do what they don't even think is work. But then you talk to these, the, these actors uh, at auditions or here or there, and they say they get real serious and they talk about, well, it's all about the work. Yeah. It's all about the work. I, to me, it's almost, um, it's almost a deal killer all about the work. Also, I've been in, as an actor myself, I've been in so many things on not only stage, but, but television things and whatnot. I've worked with really a lot of solid professional actors. Every one of them is different. Every one of them has their own way of coming at it. They yeah. have their, they have their quirks. They have their stuff. Um, and uh, there's no one uh, technique. There's no one approach. Um, it's a matter of getting it, uh, getting it done, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I remember. I well, I remember before I, I took classes from you years before that, I had taken classes from Gene Shelton for like three years. And I did learn a lot there. Mm -hmm. However, when I got into my first play as an adult, I realized very quickly that I was not going to be able to rehearse this play in the way that I was taught yeah. at the Gene L. Shelton acting school <laughs> because exactly. nobody else was going to do it that way. Uh, and it was basically the stellar Ad Adler approach. 
Um, yeah. I think as an actor, my opinion is you need to remain flexible in your mind. If you, if you learn these different things, you still need to come up with your own technique, as it were. You're going to have to. Sure. You, you, uh, every, people, we're human beings. We're not robots. Exactly. Uh, and acting is a very uh, personal and ephemeral sort of art that has to do with completely with your person and everyone is different and uh, we're all the same but we're all very different and um, you just need to find what works for you sure uh, and it's it's you it's a uh, i tell uh, sometimes people i say look if you and i are acting in something we both know the script you you know the scene i know the scene i know what your words are you know what my words are and my gift to you is to make you worry uh, that I'm not going to say what I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I know that if you're concerned about that, you're going to come off pretty good because you're going to pay most very close attention to what I'm doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you will give me the same gift. Yeah. And trying to make it appear utterly spontaneous. And uh, but it's all a process of repetition. That's why they call them plays. Yeah. Is it we're, we're playing with each other? Yeah, it's all it is. I think I think to the the maybe the problem with the method or what did Stanislavski call it? The. Uh, System. The system is that uh, we forget about the fact that our imaginations are huge and our unconscious or subconscious mind is massive. And we need to let that, let that do its thing. Um, yeah. If you get too analytical about every moment, if you get too analytical about your quote unquote backstory, uh, you're not allowing your mind to do what it's capable of doing. That's what I learned in England. I think they just, with first of all, with Shakespeare, like you say, their their technique is based on Shakespeare. Well, the writing is fantastic, so it provides you just the words themselves provide you with almost everything you need to exactly. do it. Mm -hmm. um, and a good script in in more modern English from a, a, a good playwright does almost the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the challenge comes when, when you're in a TV show or that has a, a mediocre script and a lot of them do, that's when it gets difficult. Yeah. Uh, because you need to put life, uh, you know, life into something that's uh, comes off as authentic into some really crappy, you know, dialogue. <laughs> and when I see actors on TV do that, I go, that's good. That's good acting. Yeah. Because if you well, were to look at that on the page, you'd be like, oh, come on, give me a break. That's how I made, made a living. Uh, yes. You no, know, Ray, for so many years uh, doing those, especially in the 1980s and 1990s, I did all those TV shows. And those things were, they're written for the star. And, uh, and then you have supporting players that come in and provide exposition. 
and uh, and, and, and plot movement and stuff. But the scenes are very often usually poorly structured. Yeah. Um, they, they often don't have a conflict. They're just uh, information. Uh, I remember one I did on a soap opera one time. I about left show business uh, after this. was. Uh, I had to come in. I was in a hospital, and I was a doctor. And I, they gave, it was, it was what they call an under five. Under five is 50 words. And uh, any more than 50 words, then they got to pay you more. So I had like 49 words. And uh, the script had to do with me summarizing how it was that one of the characters died. And I, all 50 words had to do with who would have been in the room with her at different times and I had oh I don't know uh, 10 12 different names of people to remember of the sequence that they were in the room uh, with this person who was who was dead and it was 49 words of nothing but names <laughs> and I was I, I really I was ready to to leave show business after that Uh, because it was hard there was nothing there was no reason to do all this except that you're summarizing a a plot yeah and uh and not even participating in it just summarizing it and um yeah but you're right which tv show was this it was a soap opera in new york that one Oh, okay. Search for tomorrow, maybe. Oh. I, I did the the biggest uh, soap opera that I ever did was uh, Days of Our Lives. Ah. I had a I had a part that ran for several months on uh, Days of Our Lives, and uh, but uh, those are working soap operas will put hair on your chest. Let me tell you, that's, <laughs> that, that's because you're doing an hour a day. Yeah, of of uh, show. You know, I mean, a movie is a movie's an hour and a half long and they'll spend uh, a month and a half, two months making it an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, a television show, most of them spend a week. But a soap opera, they do this every day, Monday through Friday. They shoot they shoot an hour of this stuff and. Um, and they they give you, uh, you, you you they give you a script today, and but you don't dare learn it because by tomorrow they're going to rewrite half of it, and um, it's 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 insane uh, what it is. And uh, I played a, a killer actually. I played a, a murderer, a crazy murderer, who was uh, on this uh, show. Uh, there was an actor named John Delancey. Most of my stuff was with John Delancey, who later became famous on Star Trek. Oh. And, yeah. But um, at the end of it, I committed suicide. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they had to get rid of you somehow. That's how it's so popular. They did. Because how- what it was is that they had the bright... Their ratings were down. And there, there was a point there where the soap operas were all of them in trouble. And they, um, their ratings were suffering, and they decided to try a bit of comedy 
And they purposely brought me in there because they thought I was funny. And, um, uh, but they were clearly, this is the soap opera people. This is like somebody wearing the wrong size shoes. They, they did not know they were uncomfortable and they didn't know what to do about it. And it, it, it didn't really work, but they kept me on there for, uh, like I say, there was, I was almost, I think four months uh, that I was on there with this one plot line and I kept showing up and I was crazier today than I was yesterday. And I kidnapped, uh, they had a, they had a, a robot a clone uh, of uh, of the of a of a woman, a, a famous actress. I'm forgetting who she was now, but they she played both herself and the clone. And uh, so I kidnapped the clone and thought that that was the real her. <laughs> <laughs> and or maybe I got it the backwards. Maybe it was I kidnapped the real her and thought it was the clone. Uh, that's I think it's the way it was because I was trying to get her to behave like a robot, and uh, and and she wouldn't. Anyway, none of it was appropriate to a, a soap opera, and um, <laughs> uh, but I had a run on that thing, and and uh, I had my turn with soap opera fans because they're rabid soap opera fans. They're crazy people. Yeah, you know, and they 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 get you on the street. They come up to you. If you're on there, if you're on one of those shows, they're after you. And, uh, so I had, I had all of that. And, uh, and, uh, it was, it was, it was weird. These it are was, the days of our lives. Yeah, exactly. As that was the one it was, I'll tell you one more, and then I'll get back to theory, acting theory. Um, I, the first time I did the TV show heart to heart, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you. But, I don't know. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> um, so I'm out there. We're shooting in the Napa Valley. <clears throat> and I'm playing a, uh, uh, a farmer that has a, uh, a winery. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers, you know, they're doing their thing. It's a heart to heart. Yes. Okay. So all of my scenes were with him. And um, uh, so I, you know how they do is they take you aside and you run lines. Yes. Uh, so I'm over there standing in the yard of this uh, vineyard and uh, I'm running lines with uh, Wagner. RJ, they called him RJ. Mm -hmm. And um, I went through the whole scene with him. And then the and he he went away. And the director said to me, he said, Well, that's very good, Ed. Uh, he said, you know, pick it up just a little bit. And I said, uh, I said, I, I, I said, I guess, okay, fine. I said, I was I was sort of waiting for uh, for him to uh, to say the lines that he that are in the script. You know, uh, and he says, oh, no, no, no. RJ doesn't do that. I said, he doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he reads the script and he gets that idea and then he sort of puts him in his own words. So you just have to go along with him about whatever he's doing. <laughs> OK. All right. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. Robert Wagner. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And uh, once I knew that, I knew what to do with him. You know, it was just improv is all it was. And I wound up doing, I don't know, four or five episodes of uh, Heart to Heart because of uh, because I knew how to work with RJ. <laughs> wow. So Robert Wagner doesn't really learn his lines. He wasn't on that show. You've heard it here, folks. You've heard it yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Swedish man. Very sweet man. He was, uh, the, the fans were out there. They came to the set uh, where we were on that show. And he posed for pictures with them. They, they would hang on him like he was an old dog. Uh, and he would just let them do it. You know, they, they, they were draping on him and posing for selfies and he, he was uh you know he really knew how to handle his fan base i was very impressed with that uh that he because a lot of those people get annoyed after oh, a while yeah. they get to be pretty full of themselves and they, they even have bodyguards some of them yes and, uh, to keep people away and uh but not him he was uh, always accessible to them very sweet man. Very sweet man. Okay, my friends, I did it. I can't believe I got through editing this thing. It's been a nightmare. <laughs> I think when I'm finished here, I'm going to go bang my head against the wall for about 10 minutes and then maybe uh, pluck out my eye eyelid hairs and then bang my head on the wall again and then um, do some self-flagellation a la Jesuit style, and then watch a little television and have a little ice cream. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. If you like this show, tell your friends. If you don't like this show, tell your enemies. And if you want to send me a message, send it to rayrenati at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to, uh, to speak with you. Please leave a review of this podcast uh, on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Or what would be best is on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. Part one of Ed Hooks in the bucket. The next part's coming very soon to a podcasting platform near you. Keep safe. Love one another. And until next time. I will see you on the boards. Goodbye, goodbye, my peeps.